Awesome. Well, I am so privileged to be speaking to you this morning. Um, we're continuing on as, as uh, Professor Ricardo um, <laughs> told us this morning, we're continuing on in our sermon series called Radical Generosity. And uh, I'm almost there. I'm almost able to breathe. <laughs> I've gotten some really good feedback from people on this sermon series, which is always nice because uh, we know that as a preaching team, we're on the right track and, and we're, 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 uh, God's leading us in ways that are speaking to people and we give Him all the glory. So we're, we're so thankful for that. Um, when I kicked this series off two weeks ago, we talked about generosity being at the very heart, the very center of God's heart. And we looked at John 3.16 and we talked about how God so loved the world, right? That He gave His one and only Son. We discussed about how sometimes we miss that love part, right? That God gave because of His great love for us. And how God sets the example for us that generosity should be the overflow of love. Because we love we give, right? And, and giving can be difficult. Because for a lot of us, it feels like we never quite have enough, right? There's always another bill due. There's always a car to fix. There's always kids' shoes to buy. And believe me, I did all three of those this week. Like, <laughs> I, I know for a fact. But as we dove into the miraculous story of Jesus feeding over 5,000 people, Because a little boy put a couple of fish and loaves of bread in his hands. We discovered that whatever we have, however much or however little, when placed in the Father's hands, it will always be enough. And not only just enough, but because that little boy shared his lunch and placed it in the hands of Jesus, everyone got to eat. And last last week... Professor Ricardo Cordero, I call him professor because he's such like a, like a, um, he is a professor actually, but, but, but I call him that because he's just such a friendly, like, easygoing guy and calling him professor makes him feel all, seem kind of uppity. I don't know. I like it. It's cool. It's cool. Plus he's handsome, so. Um, yeah. Just kidding, just kidding. I mean, no, he really is, but... Um, <laughs> I should not do improv. Okay, here we go. And last week, Ricardo brought this powerful message in how uh, we are to be God's money manager because everything we have belongs to Him. And we looked at several scriptures, one of them being Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it, right? And also Deuteronomy 8.18. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. Everything we have, even when we are under the illusion that we earned it, is the Lord's. 
which makes us the managers of the Lord's resources. And when it comes to money specifically, Ricardo challenged us to look upon ourselves as God's generosity fund managers. Meaning that since everything we have already belongs to God, then it is our duty to manage it well. I think sometimes when we talk about managing money well, we tend to lean towards that meaning making it last, like for the long haul, right? Like for things like retirement or in case of emergency, and which I want to be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with those things. But I do think that when we position ourselves with the perspective of being God's generosity fund manager, it changes what it looks like to manage our money well. Giving becomes a lot easier because the value we place on our stuff and our pleasures change. Actually, I want to, I, I actually have a confession to make this morning. Is it okay if we get real for a mom? I'm going to just kind of unburden myself here. Um, I have a confession to make. Uh, my name, my, hi, my name's Jason Day and I'm a stuffaholic. <laughs> There we go. Okay, right, right. So, uh, I'm a stuffaholic. I love stuff, right? Like, I always have, whether it's guitars or technology gadgets or my collection of red flannel shirts. Um, uh, like, for, my, for Christmas, my wife got a cat, right? And so, let me be clear about this as well. Like, 100, I want to be crystal clear on this. I hate cats, Right? <laughs> Like, I do not like cats. I'm sorry for cat people. I, I don't mean to offend, but I just, I don't like cats. So, so um, every few years, my wife bats her eyes at me, right, and tries to persuade me into getting a cat, right? And, and so this Christmas, I finally caved. So we got, um, we got Gus, our cat here, and that's our dog, Bruce Banner. Um, and uh, he's also known as the Hulk, um, so, um, so we got our cat, right? Uh, we picked up Gus from an animal foster home and my wife was in love right away. Like not with me, mind you, with the cat, right? And so we, we bring the cat home and I'm not happy about this, but she's happy. So I'm kind of happy, right? But, but like, not really, you know? <laughs> and, and so we bring it home and within the first few weeks, uh, first week, actually, Gus had crawled behind our entertainment center, chewed through a bunch of wires, right? One of which was the volume control to my beloved Bose speakers, right? Which rendered them useless. And if you know me at all, you know how much I love music. Like, I love music. If I'm home... Any time of the day, nine times out of ten, there's music playing in the house. So the value of a good sound system to me is far beyond, like, monetary value. Like, so when this cat that I never wanted in the first place <laughs> attacked one of my most valued possessions, I was furious. Like, I, I started walking around the house saying things like, this cat has got to go. Like, I cannot live with this. Now, mind you, everybody else's stuff is just fine, right? So nobody was really feeling my pain. So, um, 
but to me, it was like the end of the world, right? Like, I was, I'm, Mark knows, I vented to him about the cat. Like, and because, it, to me, it was like, it was like the end of the world, right? And it's because this thing actually had an unhealthy hold on me, right? The, the funny thing about it is, is as a believer, like, I know I can't take my Bose sound system with me to heaven when I die, right? Like, exactly 0% of the things I accumulate in this life will go with me to heaven, right? I mean, seriously, think about it. Have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it? A U-Haul trailer? No! Like, that would be ridiculous, right? Because, why? Because... What are you going to do with your stuff once you're dead, right? Nothing. It's just going to sit there and collect dust, right? So if I know that's the case, why am I ready to make this poor animal homeless over a ruined sound system, right? It's because I made it my treasure. I, I, I've placed an extraordinary level of value on this thing, right? Which makes it a thing I treasure. And speaking of treasure, I think one of the most interesting examples of this is the Egyptian boy king, King Tutankhamun, also known as King Tut. And um, so King Tut was nicknamed the boy king because he began his reign when he was only nine years old. And he died at around the age of 18 in 1323 BCE, which means before the Common Era. King Tut's body was mummified for preservation, as was the custom in the Egyptian culture. And the Egyptians looked upon their pharaohs as gods, right? And so King Tut's burial tomb was extremely regal, right? Uh, a British archaeologist named Howard Carter began searching for King Tut's tomb in 1891. And after 31 years of looking, he finally discovered it in 1922. The story goes that when Howard Carter made the initial discovery, he found some statues layered in gold that indicated where the entrance to, the, to, the, to King's Tut, <laughs> King Tut's uh, burial chamber must have been. So he started to dig through the wall that was behind the golden statues. And when the hole was big enough, he kind of he kind of peeked through and saw this giant wall of gold. That wall of gold actually turned out to be a giant shrine. And when Howard Carter opened the door of the shrine, he found another golden shrine inside. And when he opened that shrine he found another shrine. And inside that shrine, another. Four golden shrines in total. And inside the fourth shrine, they found a sarcophagus, which is sort of like a fancy coffin. And, and just like the shrines, there were coffins inside of coffins, right? Four in total. And the final one, the fourth, the fourth one, was made of solid gold. Off to the side of the burial chamber of King Tut was another room, which was labeled the treasury, right? When the archaeologists entered this room, they discovered an unfathomable amount of priceless treasures, right? 
huge amounts of gold, jewelry, chests made of alabaster, golden statues were found. But that wasn't all they found, right? Um, Because the Egyptians believed in an afterlife where you could take possessions with you, Howard Carter found toy boats. He found board games. He found cosmetics. He found musical instruments and much, much more. But the thing is, amongst all those riches... And pleasures, the fact remains that when they opened the fourth solid gold shrine, with the fourth solid gold coffin in it, inside that coffin was King Tut's mummified body, dead. And none of the things they found in those chambers had been touched for 3,000 years And that's why you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Because no matter how much wealth you build in this life, it doesn't change the fact that this life for each and every one of us is a vapor. It's fleeting. Our earthly treasures, whether it's a Bose sound system, a huge amount of gold or a cat, are temporary. Because I don't believe cats go to heaven. This concept is one that Jesus was very, was, was, was very familiar with, and he taught on it in the book of Matthew chapter 6, which is where we find our scripture today. So go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19 through 24. This scripture is a part of a much larger sermon from Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is literally sitting on a mountainside teaching his disciples as a crowd begins to form around them. In this sermon, he covers a huge amount of ground, right? But, but today, what we are going to look at is how Jesus specifically addresses our earthly treasures. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, starting at 19 through 24. This is what it says. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So let's break this down a bit, because it, it can get a little confusing. In verse 19, Jesus kind of plainly tells us that we should not store up treasures on earth. And what is his reasoning? Because they won't last. He goes as far to say as where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I find it funny that Jesus actually uses the illustration of moths and rust because literally both those things eat away at whatever they fixate on and render them useless and undesirable. So what does Jesus say we should do in verse 
20, he says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus is making a plain distinction here, right? Um, Earthly treasures will pass away, but the treasure we lay up in heaven will last for an eternity. For Jesus, this is a pretty straightforward analogy, but it's what he says next, I feel like that's a game changer. In verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, show me what you treasure, and I'll show you what has a hold on your heart. And it's so true, right? Whatever we deem our treasure controls our actions in in certain ways. If our treasure is placed on money, houses, cars, new toys, like shoes, these these things are what's going to occupy a large majority of our thoughts, time, and actions. Because if money has a stronghold on our heart, You're going to work harder, you're going to work more to get more, right? And with your heart set on money, there will never be enough because there's always a newer iPhone coming out. Fashion is always changing. Most of the time, a nice neighborhood will change over the course of time and years later will be a place that's not so desirable. So what do you got to do? You got to buy a new house in a new neighborhood where there aren't so many yahoos driving up and down the street with their loud sound system. And, And the thing about money... Having a hold on your heart is that it becomes a never-ending cycle of greed. Believe me, I know, this is something that I struggle with. But Jesus, Jesus wants your heart. He doesn't need your money, but He does know that wherever your money goes is where where you will place your heart. Because in verse 21 he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is making making it clear that having the wrong treasure leads to our heart being in the wrong place. But he is also reminding us that we have a choice, right? He didn't make us mindless drones. We have a choice. We choose where we place our heart. And that choice dictates whether we're living for the here and now, or whether we're living for eternity. Jesus is calling for you to trust Him to provide everything you need. For you to be content with choosing eternal value over temporary, earthly treasure. Jesus doesn't need your money, but He does know that where you place your treasure is where you will place your heart. And Jesus wants your heart. He wants your heart. So the question is, how do we begin to exercise self-control for where we place our treasure? Well, in verse 22 and 23, Jesus gives us the answer. It may seem like he kind of changes topics here, but Jesus is really giving you and I a game plan on how to exercise self-control over what treasure we choose. In verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If so, your eye is healthy. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus isn't changing topics here. He is saying a couple of things with this tricky statement. I believe this is saying that the way we stay focused on storing up heavenly treasures instead of earthly ones is by simply keeping our eyes, as we say, fixed on God. But I also think Jesus is telling us literally to take care of what we actually look at, right? Like, where do our eyes get naturally drawn to? Are you in control of them? Or do they take, or, or, or do they take you, your mind, your heart, your treasure, wherever it wants to go? Your eyes will lead your body into darkness if you don't have control over them. So we must be constantly fixating our eyes on Jesus so that our hearts, minds, actions, and treasures will be in the light. Keeping control of our eyes will increase our capacity to see clearly what God wants us to do and to see the world from His point of view. In Jesus' final statement in this passage, He illuminates a line that has been drawn in the sand. And we must choose a side. And chances are we already have. Jesus says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Actually, older translations use the word mammon instead of money. Mammon includes money, but it's a little bit more broad than that. Mammon refers more to material wealth, as in the greedy pursuit to gain more and more. Almost as if it were a god. Which is Jesus' point exactly. Jesus says, we can have only one master. We We live in a materialistic society where many people serve money. They spend all their lives collecting and storing it up only to die and leave it behind. Their desire for money and what it can buy far outweighs their commitment to God and spiritual matters. Whatever you store up, you will spend much of your time and energy thinking about. Don't fall into this materialistic trap Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 So can we honestly say that God and not money is our master? One test is to ask yourself which one occupies more of your thoughts, time, and efforts. Ask yourself, do I possess my things or do they possess me? What side of the line am I on? Am I serving at the whim of greed or am I serving at the will of the Father? Because Jesus says you will choose. Some of us who struggle with this may make a different choice every day, but we will choose. Guys, I'm going to be real honest with you here, like, and all joking aside, like, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you guys today. Um, 
our stuff can just feel so important to us, can it? It begins to feel like we can never live without it, and yet it's all just temporary. This fact was never so clear to me as it was about 12 years ago. Kim and I had just moved from Northern California from a little uh, city called Redding, and we moved to Southern California. And uh, we lived in this tiny one-bedroom apartment in Riverside, and we were surrounded by college kids. And it was a loud apartment complex, as you can imagine, and, and there were all, all kinds of, there's just tons of people always out and about, and there was always some sort of mischief happening around the apartment complex, right? One time I remember that we had some laundry stolen right out of the dryer in the laundry room we were using, and uh, another time my wife got her bicycle stolen right off of our front porch, and they must have really wanted that bicycle too, because it had two flat tires, and there was also a bad case of ding-dong dash going on in the apartment complex. Does anybody know what that is? It's like where you bang on the door, you ring the doorbell, and then run away before they can open the door. Like, there's a bad case of that going around. And, like, I'm going to be honest. Like, man, I, I was, this particular prank had been going on for a long time and, and, and had been happening a lot. And, frankly, I was pretty fed up. I had gotten to the point where I was ready to go off on the next person that even thought about touching my door, right? And sure enough, there we are in the evening watching TV, right? And, and there's this crazy loud pounding on the door, like, like door rattling, window rattling, pounding on our door. And like, Sure enough, it's, it happens. And so I like jump off the couch like a panther, like ready to pounce, right? Like I'm, I'm like, oh no, you didn't, you know? And, and, uh, and so I launch off the couch and I fling the door open. And before I could get the words out, hey, you kids, get off my lawn, um, I realize that it was actually a firefighter and he was going around banging on all the doors in our, in our apartment complex. And I must have just looked stunned, like, that's not what I expected to happen, and, and he just started yelling, and, and there was a, he's like, there's a huge uh, underground gas leak at the construction site next door, you have got to get out of here right now, I was just like, stunned, right, and, and at that moment, everything, every, at that moment, everything, all of a sudden fell into place, everything came into focus, like all I could think about was getting my wife to safety. So I grabbed our wedding album and my grandma's guitar, which wasn't even playable at the time, but it meant a lot to me. Um, Kim grabbed our two pets because she likes pets, you know. And, and, um, and so she grabbed our two pets and we, we, we jumped in the car, right? And we just started driving. And we drove away. And it was the weirdest thing. Driving away from 99.5% of our earthly possessions and not knowing if they would be there the next day. We didn't even have a chance to grab a change of clothes. That's how quickly it happened. But I do remember having this sense as we drove away that everything I actually needed was in the car with me. And once we were to safety... This, like, weird peace came over me. It was like, almost like freedom. 
And that's the point Jesus is trying to make. When our heart beats its last beat, and the final breath exits our lungs, what will all this stuff mean to us? I can tell you with 100% certainty that if we are standing in the presence of the Father, it won't mean a thing. So let's use our lives, right, and our resources to fill up the storehouses of heaven so that when we get there, there will be more to go around for everyone. And unlike in this life, those treasures will last for eternity. But today, we have to choose. We have to choose what kind of treasure we are living for. Now don't get me wrong, I believe the Lord in His graciousness. He gives us access to some heavenly treasures right here on earth. Like for instance, when you're looking at a newborn baby's fingers and toes, right? Being filled with wonder as the sun slowly sinks into the ocean and the sky slowly turns purple. Or making a friend laugh so hard they accidentally snort. You know, like the good stuff in life that money could never, ever, ever buy. I believe that those are a tiny glimpse into treasures that await us in heaven. So today, we need to ask ourselves some hard questions. And what can we bring to the table of generosity? Because chances are, if we place what we have in the Lord's hands, it's going to be enough. It's going to be more than enough. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Worship team, you can come. So Father God, we thank you for your generosity, Lord. We thank you that on our behalf, Lord, that you gave your only son to die an agonizing death so that we may have our sin wiped away, Lord. That we may be in right standings with you again, Lord. That we may ask for forgiveness, Lord. God, I just humble myself before you even now, Lord, and just say, Lord, I'm sorry for placing my treasure in the wrong place, God. For storing up treasure on earth, Lord. And not being conscious enough of earth of heavenly treasure, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us reevaluate what we can bring to your table, Lord. I pray you would help us reevaluate how we can better be your generosity fund managers, Lord. I pray you lay it on our hearts, specific things to do, whether it be feed a person who's hungry, Lord, or support a ministry, Lord, or give to an organization that is helping fund adoptions, Lord. Whatever it be, Lord, inspire it in our hearts, God. Lord, we place what we have in your hands now, Lord. Do with it as you will. 
as the ushers come forward, we take our we take our offering, Lord, and we bring to you right now, Lord, what is already yours, God. We are so grateful for the way you're moving in our church right now, Lord. We are humbled by your presence, God, so out of that love we give. In Jesus' name I pray.